Hello and welcome to Tap to Craft, an educational podcast hosted by two craft beer enthusiasts where we talk about craft beer in terms the everyday beer drinker can understand. My name is Denny Luce and I'm joined by my co-host and drinking buddy, John Ream. How are you doing tonight, John? I wasn't snoring, was I? No, I, no. <laughs> I, may, I may have just woken up in the intro. But uh, yeah, I, I am so tired. People with young kids or who have had young kids in the past... They understand, but I've, yeah, my uh, two boys have been sick for the past three weeks, just on and off. Mm. And uh, now the youngest is also cutting his first teeth at oh, the same yeah. time. They finally broke through. So he's absolutely miserable. Oh. Um, so, uh, you know, on, on the plus side, we had a nice wedding we went to yesterday where they had some nice craft beer at the reception. So they were doing it right. Excellent. Um, and Excellent. I, so that, that kind of, you know, pushed us up a little bit in our morale around here. <laughs> <laughs> well, excellent. Well, you know, uh, you can always uh, use some of that whiskey that, that Wes left at your house and just kind of numb those gums for that little teething uh, critter. Uh, yeah, it might help with the sickness too, you know. Yeah. Kill, kill the bugs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, if it worked back in the olden days, it should still work today. I don't think things have changed that much. So. Yeah, science. All right. Well, you know, you know what time it is. Also, this it is football season, and uh, have you been able to enjoy any football? I know you went to a wedding yesterday, so you you probably didn't see your Ohio State Buckeyes look pretty pathetic all the way until the fourth quarter, or did you watch? Uh, the I got show? to see them look very <laughs> pathetic through the first like quarter and a half. And okay. I was like, ah, well, hopefully yeah. they don't. Uh, have an Auburn situation today, but yeah, yeah, uh, no, it, 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 they actually came out and then made it look up, you know, they, they still dealt a, a shutout, which was nice, but it, man, it didn't yeah. look like the Ohio it's state. I was, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they didn't cut. Yeah. They didn't cover for sure. But, uh, but I also, you know, last night we went, I, I can sit home and watch games and drink and have fun, or I can go out and party with my friends. And last night, instead of sitting, at home watching a game and drinking beer at home, we decided to go out and we went to Sockeye Brewery here in Boise and we enjoyed some you know, some good craft beer, some good uh, visiting and chatting. And so I actually recorded a game and watched it. Uh, I watched the actually ending when we got back to my buddy Sean's house. Uh, I watched the last quarter and uh, I saw that my uh, my ducks were not able to pull out a win, but uh, they they played pretty hard and. Uh, today I watched the rest of the game, and I, I saw that where there's some some room to improve on a lot of fronts. Uh, I, I'm just grateful they didn't. They only lost by three points. Uh, Michigan State's defense, their front line, uh, defensive line is incredible. Uh, I mean, they those guys are uh, are pretty good. They, but you know what? Hey, we lost our first yeah. game. It's, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, that defense has always been impressive, and you know, losing by three on the road to a top five opponent, there's no, uh, you know, shame in that. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah. So I, I haven't seen any of the recaps or anything for it. I don't, you know, you, you mentioned stuff to work on, but I think most most uh, coaches around the country would tell you that they've got stuff to work on, even <laughs> even those that are two and out. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I um. I'll say that the you know we have that Vernon Davis. He is a transfer from Eastern Washington University. You probably saw him in a couple games, you know, in your area maybe if you uh, pay attention. But he's a, he's a decent quarterback. He had good numbers 
in the at that school, and he transferred over to Oregon for one year of eligibility left. But he hasn't been with the team long enough to really gel. And I, what I saw the most problematic issues is that whenever things would break down and it didn't go the way he expected, he wasn't calm. He wasn't. He didn't feel comfortable in that situation, and he just made you know made some mistakes. I, I think he can work on that. The more repetitions he gets with the offense and with the team, uh, it was nice to see the team supported him. And he did. He, he didn't play horribly. He just didn't play up to what we're used to seeing with with the Heisman you know trophy winner uh, from from years past. Yeah, those were some pretty big issues, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you know that's one. Of, I mean, he came. He was a late transfer. Right. And yeah. So I mean, give it a few weeks, and they'll they'll have some their timing down better, and you know he'll have a better understanding of when things break down, where folks are going to be. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So yeah. next weekend, uh, we're actually going to Eugene. My son and I, and my wife and and his wife are dra- driving to Eugene, Oregon, to watch the Ducks play Georgia State. Uh, why Georgia State? Because that was the team, the, the game that fit into our schedules. And uh, they had tickets available, so we went. We went and grabbed tickets, and we're gonna be watching that game on Saturday. So it'll be fun to be back in Autzen Stadium. I used to have season tickets to the Ducks. I had to give them up because it's just too hard for me to get there for you know make make the money make the money worth being spent by going going to a couple games a year. It's not not really worth it. But uh, yeah, that's what we'll be doing next weekend. And I'm I'm wondering. I'm assuming they'll still use Vernon Davis, but I'm wondering if. You know, if if Lockie, the backup, uh, might see some some playing time and get familiar, just in case you know things don't quite work out as planned with uh, with Vernon Davis. I I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how they they do that. Yeah, that'll be a fun fun weekend for you, though. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but hey, that was just a little bit of side talk. But before we get too sidetracked, let's just uh, let everyone know that that you're listening to episode thirty, and we're recording this on Sunday. September 13th, 2015. And uh, what you're going to expect in this show, we're going to do a little Brew Buzz segment. And we're going to talk about, since right now is the season for Oktoberfest beers, uh, why not talk about the style guidelines for Oktoberfest or Martzen beers? And uh, last episode, we kind of mentioned, John mentioned that the full sale lager that we were drinking was actually a style, what, you know, the, kind of a, an example of the style for. For an American, what, what what style would that be? American light lager or log? Not light lager, regular uh, uh, pale American lager, premium lager, premium lager. Yeah, it brought to light that you know what we need to talk more about these style profiles. How how is a judge? You know what when a beer is authentic to what the style is, and uh, next week we're going to be doing our beer tasting. We're going to actually do a beer tasting on an Oktoberfest beer. Now we could do this segment. In that show, but instead, I thought it might be nice to to give you a little preview of what we're going to be tasting next week, so you already have that in the back of your mind. And then in the next episode, we'll be doing the tasting, and we won't, you know, end up mixing up the two from whether the the guideline is versus what we're drinking and what we're tasting. And uh, although it should be pretty close, because we're actually going to use a commercial example, we're going to do a tasting of the the Marston. So stay tuned a little bit later to find out what that beer is and how you can prepare to join us in that tasting. And uh, we're also going to cover a couple of news items. We had some very interesting news this last week 
about the the beer the craft beer industry. So we'll be talking about some of those articles. But before we get too far into that, John, um, are you drinking anything tonight? Are you keeping your uh, your palate uh, nice and and wet for all of our talking we're gonna be doing? I am, and you know, it, since we're gonna talk some Oktoberfest, I figured I'd drink some Oktoberfest. Mm. So I am drinking the uh, Sierra Nevada October he- Oktoberfest. Uh, that was the collaboration with the Brauhaus Regal that you uh, had talked about uh, an episode or two ago. Oh, yeah. Um, I managed to pick some of this up, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Um, some great malt character. It's actually, I, I get a little kind of nutty character off of it, which mm-hmm. is uh, kind of interesting and nice. But, yeah, just, I'm really enjoying this beer. It's really easy to drink and, and still packs a lot of flavor. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't expect this is going to be back after this year, so... If you still see it, um, definitely pick it up. I still saw some cases last time I was out of the store, so <laughs> it should still be around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, I had some of it, and I also uh, w- went out for uh, one of our uh, company dinners, and they had that on tap. So I drank three or four big giant glasses of that there, and it was it's good on on tap too on draft. So oh, excellent. I'm glad you got to you got to pick that up, and I'm glad you're enjoying it. Did you get? Did how much did you pick up? A six pack or uh, twelve. Yeah, packs. I got a six pack. Okay. Of it. Um, I didn't. I didn't see the cases till after I'd already bought it. Yeah, I'm wondering. Um, I might have gone the case route. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if I were to go to Costco, if they might have a case. A lot of times they'll have, uh, you know, twenty four packs of of some of these special beers. So might, might be something yeah, for possible. me to do. Yeah. Well, I I'm also drinking something not so exciting as you, John. I am going with the I I. I've been, I mentioned before I've been drinking a lot of this Full Sail Session Premium Lager, and guess what? I'm still drinking it. I felt like not busting open one of my big, heavy beers that I have in my fridge. I have a lot of stuff that I'm waiting for winter to break open because it's just a little bit warm. It's still in the 90s here in, in the Boise area, and, and it's kind of hard sometimes to drink those heavier beers when it's hot. You know, you want to drink something lighter. So this this lager is great for those moments when I don't want heavy, heavy beers. And I mean, as a side, you know, I, we always get on side tangents, but as a side tangent, I, this last week, they also released the Deschutes Brewing Brewery um, Jubilee. Their winter warmer is on the shelves. And I actually drank one. Already? Yeah. Last, <laughs> last night, last night I had my first Jubilee of this season. Uh, w- way too early. Way too early, but I'll tell you what—I absolutely love that beer, and I don't remember if we did a tasting on Jubilee last year. And if if we didn't, you know what? We we're we're going to do a tasting this this year. We'll have to go back in our notes and find I think out. We did. Did we? Yeah. Okay. We'll have to uh, check the tape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go back and uh, and get a review on that just to make sure because we don't want to double up. We want to keep things fresh. <laughs> All right. Well. Uh, did you happen to have anything noteworthy in the last couple of weeks that you drank that you want to talk about? Yeah, so I was going to talk about this Oktoberfest until I realized I still had another one and I could drink it tonight. Um, <laughs> so I, I have one other one that I'll mention, uh, which is a beer from Three, Flo- Three Floyds Brewing, uh, which is their uh, Skull, um, which is a, a very uh, sour <laughs> beer. That I uh, cracked open and enjoyed uh, with my friends Pete and Amanda during uh, Ohio State's first game versus uh, Virginia Tech on Labor Day. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, th- this thing is intensely sour. If you were uh, 
going to test the the water on sour. This would not be one to start with. Okay. Um, but uh, it did have a really nice cherry aroma to it, uh, which was really cool. And uh, the the artwork on the bottle is really sweet. Um, mm. If you're following on, on Untapped, I, I put a picture up of it um, for my check in. So uh, definitely go go look at that if if you missed it. But yeah, definitely a great one to grab if if you like sour and and the really intense sour. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know what kind of availability this beer has, or if it's something they do uh, with any any sort of regularity. Because mm-hmm. um, all my three Floyds is brought out here by travelers, so I, I have no sense of their brewing schedule. Okay. But uh, yeah, definitely check it out if you if you like uh, having your your face melted off. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, wow! It I, you know what you know I I do enjoy sours, but that type of sour is not. I don't know if that's what uh, I can really appreciate because if it's too sour, it takes away from the the subtleties that come out of the inner sour. So I, that one I might have to stay away from. Well, it still had its fruit character and that kind of stuff. That it wasn't just sour, mm-hmm. um, which I think some of them can end up that way. Uh, this definitely had its its complementing characters to it. So okay, uh, yeah, overall very pleasant. So oh. how about you, Denny? What have you had that's uh, noteworthy? I've had a few things. Uh, I'll just talk briefly on them. Uh, one thing that you'll, everyone will probably be surprised at here is that I actually had a pumpkin beer uh, this last, in fact, Friday, that I really enjoyed. Uh, there's a few. I, I've mentioned before I liked the, the pumpkin ales that are like in a stout or porter with a little pumpkin. I enjoy those more than the lighter ales. Uh, but here's one that's very unique. I've never had the this type of pumpkin beer and it's from Ballast Point, which surprises me because Ballast Point is the brewery that does the great IPAs, the Sculpin IPAs and that grapefruit Sculpin and I mean they they do some great IPAs. And I have I mean I have I've had a well they do Victory at Sea too, right? They do a, I guess they do a bunch of different yeah. beers that they do really well. And here is one more beer that I will add to a list of beers they do really well. And it's called the Ballast Point Brewing Pumpkin Down and it's a actual pumpkin beer that is with using a scotch ale base and i think it is done really really well the scotch ale kind of complements the spices in it and the spices aren't done overly uh you know strong they're really very subtle and i i really really enjoyed it not only did i enjoy it but there were three other people that don't like pumpkin ales that drank full pints of it at the Brewer's Haven where we were at, Not, you know, three different people that aren't even my friends, and all of them said, wow, I don't like pumpkin ales, but this is a great beer. So, hey, if you can find Ballast Point's Pumpkin Down, then uh, give it a shot. At least get a taster of it and see if, if you can handle the, the little bit of those pumpkin spices in there. I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, I saw that you post this one, and the, the Scotch Ale intrigued me because I mm-hmm. think the – the maltiness of that would really play well. And so I might have to uh, tinker with my own pumpkin recipe. Oh, wow. Try to come up with something. Have, have so. you done scotch ales in your home brewing before? I actually just brewed my first one uh, this summer mm-hmm. uh, in preparation for my uh, big family reunion that's coming up. Um, okay. That I'm providing a beer for. So Okay. Uh, the taste I had of it going in the keg, was awesome. Oh, so nice. Hopefully it uh, turns out 
Okay. Will you will you possibly have a sample of that for me when I come visit you in in a couple weeks? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just I'm just putting the hint out there just in See. case. <laughs> All right. So that See, I've got a lot of thirsty folks arriving. <laughs> no problem. I understand. I understand. No problem. Uh, th- so that was the one that really surprised me. I just wanted to let every, all my all our listeners know that uh, that that's a, a good pumpkin ale that that you guys can try if you're iffy on it. Now, of course, everyone knows I really enjoy saisons and farmhouse ales, and I had a fantastic one that uh, we had just one basically one bottle of beer came in from this brewery that I've never had before. It's it's uh, Prairie Artisan Ales. And they're out of Oklahoma. Actually, I think this is the very first Oklahoma beer I've ever had. I I, I don't know other breweries that come out of there, but uh, you know, I, I had to try it because I heard good things about Prairie uh, Artisan Ales. And this is their standard farmhouse ale. And oh my gosh, it really is a very very good farmhouse ale. And I think that for people that are unsure of saisons, they don't know about that the flavors that come out in, in that style of wild uh, fermentation. Uh, this one's very, very mellow. Uh, it doesn't, it's not really overly strong in them, but it has some great flavors that just uh, are subtle and very, again, kind of almost like in that Trappist uh, beers that I were talking about last couple shows, how they're very delicate and dainty. This is kind of that same way. It's a farmhouse ale that's not, overpowering it's very delicate and dainty and with great flavors in there have you had any prairie ales uh, john no i haven't i've heard lots of good things but i i don't think they come to washington okay. um but uh yeah so sometime i will uh, stumble across it okay and, uh, and okay. try it out yeah. yeah i i recommend it just just mark it on a list of did he recommend so at least it's a you know it's a minimum of a three on your scale so you'll, you'll, be, you'll be okay and <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then like John, like you, John, I had a sour also that I really enjoyed from the Victory Brewing. We've, you know, we've had Victory on our tasting notes with their, uh, with their Hop Devil IPA. Well, Victory Brewing has a lot of different good beers. And this one is their Sour Monkey. And the Sour Monkey is a, a, a great sour. I really enjoyed that. The sourness and the flavors in it. Uh, it's a 25 ounce, uh, cork and cage bottle. Uh, and it went down uh, very, very easy and, and very enjoyable. Have, have you had the Sour Monkey, John? I haven't. Yeah, I've actually never seen a Sour from Victory. So that's uh, yeah, not one that's come across my uh, shelves. Okay. Okay. So. Well, if it does come across, uh, again, grab it, try it out. It wasn't too expensive, I don't think. Uh, it was reasonably priced. And uh, it was a good sour, and not a sour like you described. That's really overly <laughs> sour, tart, right? It, it's it's got a little tartness, but it's got it's just enough, and it's, it's I liked it. So I, I give my two thumbs up for that one. And and the last beer I'm going to talk real briefly on is one that I revisited. I've had this beer before. Um, it's from a Utah brewery, and if anyone has heard me on the show, probably hears that I there's only one brewery that I really, really, really like in Utah, and that's, of course, my epic brewing. But there's other breweries that can put out some good beers, and this is one of those beers from Wasatch Brewing that is fantastic, and it's their Doppelbach, the Devastator Doppelbach. And uh, it's a, I think it's like 8 or 9% uh, Doppelbach, and it's just got some fantastic 
flavor in there. And if you are a fan of Doppelbach, I think you, anyone that, that likes that style, that double Bach, that you would really enjoy this. And it's in cans now, so that's even better. So have you have you had the, the, the Devastator from Wasatch, John? Nah, I'm over four now on on your uh, beers. Okay. Um, okay. Wasatch is another brewery that I, I haven't uh, haven't seen, but Doppelbach, uh I had a love hate relationship with that style for a while. It was my first introduction to it was uh, you know some of the imports that come in, um, but they were well past their prime. Oh yeah. And it was before I really understood what that meant um, mm-hmm. and what it did to the beer. And so for a long time, I thought I just hated this style because of, of the way that those came across. But uh, thankfully, I, I was able to revisit some more fresh examples and, and realize that what, what it had to offer. So, yeah, um, yeah just just another uh, anecdote of, you know, don't give up after the first time. Yeah, it might just be that beer. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. I, I agree. There are some Doppelbox that I've had that are just not my thing. In fact, there's one that I had another Utah brewery when I was uh, visiting there for work uh, earlier in the year, and it was uh, it was some Rooster brewing, which actually Rooster has some pretty good beers too. I don't get a lot of them, but I have had a few of them. And this was a Doppelbach that was like a nine percent beer, a big, a big, a big one. And the problem with it, and it's not only me. I noticed that everyone that has opened this beer, even my buddy Sean, when he went to Utah, uh, he had it, and same thing. Open it and you pour it. This is a foaming, I mean, this thing foams like crazy. You pour it into a glass and all you have is literally a full glass of foam with a small little like half inch of beer. I mean, it's, it's the most foamy beer I've ever had. And I, and I, I could not enjoy it because I couldn't get the damn foam down. It, I let it sit and that, that foam and that beer was there for like 20 minutes. It didn't even dissipate. So, um, I really, didn't have a good feeling on that beer and i don't know if it's just something that they're doing with you know they just had a a bad batch that they brewed and they had extra whatever carbonation in there i don't know what do you think john caused that extra foaming action in in this beer yeah usually from a bottle it's over carbonation um which you know could be something they accidentally put too much carbonation in it or you know, it, there was something in the bottle that shouldn't have been there. Okay. That continued to to ferment the beer, um, but then I feel like you would have noticed uh, some other things going on. Yeah. Than, than just over carbonation. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, and again, it was it was. Um, I'm I'm also I don't I don't know if it was bottle conditioned at all, or like you said, maybe they had more active ingredients in there that were was still reacting, uh, and and causing you know it to you know, to, to go a little wild, but, um, I'd like to try it again. That one, that rooster brewing one, because again, I've had several rooster beers and they're pretty good. And this one I expected, I was really excited to have it. And, and I was disappointed because I couldn't enjoy it because of the, the little bit of a uh, foop, on the foaming. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, that's, that's the beers I've been drinking and, uh, let's, um, we do have a listener question. And it's from our buddy Robert at TPS Sponge on Twitter. And he asked this question of us. He says, why are red ales not as easy to find as other ales? And, uh, wow, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, my, my, uh, 
immediate answer is, well, it just depends on <laughs> what people are brewing. I don't know of a, of a specific reason. I, I think maybe because ambers and reds are kind of in the same style category that maybe there's just a lot of, uh, of ambers out there that, you know, could be red ales, but they're called ambers. But John, do you by any chance have a, a real, uh, a real answer to Robert's question why he doesn't find that many red ales out there? Uh, I would say hops. Um, they, you know, they're very similar to an amber, like you said, and mm-hmm. I think they do get lumped in to that category and, uh, you know, just have it, the term amber ale has become, you know, so prolific that even something that maybe should actually be called a red ale, mm-hmm. you just slap amber on it because then people know what they're getting. Yeah. Um, because it, they're very, they're very close, mm-hmm. um, Style, I, th- I think Untapped even lumps them together in one category. Yeah, um, or at least they used to. Uh, but you know, a, a lot of reds you see now are like hoppy reds and yeah. kind of like a red IPA type thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, maybe that will spur kind of a a return of of some some of the red ales. I mean, one of my absolute top beers is uh, the. Uh, red trolley ale from Carl Strauss. It's uh, just absolute brilliant uh, red ale mm-hmm. that I, I adore. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you, you just don't see them that often. I, I think yeah, they they're just very similar to an amber, um, and and it just kind of gets lumped in. And right now, it's all about hops. Yeah. So then they they don't bring that to the table. So yeah, that that that's yeah. that's kind of why if. If I see a red ale, I'll be more apt to to get a red ale than an amber because I know typically, in my experience, red ales will have a little bit more hot presence in it and give me that little bit of bitterness that I enjoy. Where the ambers will sometimes, you know, be a little bit, you know, not the finish won't be to my uh, liking as as well as the red. But again, I'm not saying at all red ales are that way, but I. I tend to find that majority of them will have that hop uh, finish, and and that's why I enjoy a good red ale. Uh, and, and you know, in that um, post, he also linked uh, a, a photo of I think it was Alaskan Amber uh, has a red ale that he thought we might uh, go ahead and taste on the show one day. So let's put that in our list of of tasting notes. Let's go ahead and take we we haven't tasted a red ale yet, have we? Have we done a tasting on on a red ale? I don't think we have. Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Well, then we should uh, definitely put in our our list of beers. We should do the red ale from Alaskan uh, Brewing. I think that's pretty much available around the country. I think, or is, do you think Alaskans around the, the the country, or you think they're only in the the western portion? Uh, no, I think they're throughout most of the country. Okay. All right. So we'll take we'll take Robert's uh, suggestion and we'll put that on our tasting notes for uh, maybe. Uh, in between the Oktoberfest and the winter warmers, we can just do a, a tasting on the red ale, right? That that might fit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll we'll definitely get it on the calendar. Okay, all right. Well, thank you, Robert, for uh, submitting the question and look for those red ales. I think if you look hard, you'll see that there's more available than you uh, than you think there are. Just they might be hidden under. Uh, the assumption that they're they're ambers instead of of red. So keep looking and give us our give us feedback back on on the the ones that you enjoy and 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 what you find. 
All right. Well, now it is time for our Brew Buzz segment. And the Brew Buzz segment is a segment that we like to do the, to educate our listeners on various topics related to beer and craft beer in general. And in this episode, I already mentioned earlier that we're going to discuss the Martzen slash Oktoberfest beer style guidelines. And these guidelines are uh, what we're using for our for the guidelines are the beer judging certification program, and it can be found at bjcp.com. And John, I know that you've gone. I think it's dot org. Oh, dot org. Okay, thanks for the clarification. Yeah. And John, you've gone through the program of actually uh, being certified in in these style guidelines, so you probably uh, know. Well, I want to say probably you know a lot more about all these styles and the guidelines and everything because you've actually gone through the a little bit of training and 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 being tested on it and you actually do this. But um, a question for you: I noticed when I went to the site that they have two sets of of guidelines. They have the original ones that are from like two thousand. Well, I don't know if they're original, but the the previous ones were from two thousand eight, and now they have. Uh, maybe some adjusted uh, guidelines and categories for 2015. Uh, yeah, so pr- prior to 2008, it was, uh, I think 2004 was the last version, and this time they've, they've gone uh, seven years uh, between updating. And, you know, it's not something they want to update all the time uh, because they want to have a, a consistent set that people can work from mm-hmm. and, you know, that everybody's working from the same uh, same thing. So the reason they're both up there right now is that uh, they're in the process of transitioning to this new updated guide, uh, and there are still competitions and things being run on the old uh, 2008 uh, guidelines. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so uh, the 2015, I know, added a bunch of styles um, and more uh, kind of split up uh, some existing styles and more subcategories, um, partly to help uh, competition organizers uh, have uh, more even flights mm-hmm. and th- things for, for the different uh, beers. I know IPA, there's now like five different sub ones, okay. you know, similar to that article we, we talked yeah. about, you know, there's now red IPA, black IPA, you know, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's more just updating uh, to the time. And, you know, uh, we mentioned these commercial examples that, that these categories will, uh, or these style guidelines will call out. Well, this is it's also a chance to update those um, with things that might be more readily available now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, some beers, those breweries might not exist anymore. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's um, par- partly uh, just a refresh uh, to make sure the most up to date info is there, and and uh, then also um, just kind of recognizing what's changed in the landscape. Um, you know, like black IPA wasn't really a thing in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now it's everywhere. So yeah. that they want to incorporate those those beers that are now kind of dominating, um, like a, a specialty category that's kind of becoming a a second IPA flight. You know, yeah. with, the, with a lot of these kind of beers. So they're, they're trying to basically clean up the competitions and that kind of thing. So oh, that, that's yeah. kind of what drives these these updates. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense because now when there's so many different types. I mean, breweries are doing things that are, you know, I don't want to say cutting edge, but, you know, they're different, right? They're doing things a little bit different. But when you have a beer that is not 
you know, it, it falls into a generic category instead of a, a specialty category, then now it's being uh, in competition with other things that are more to that style. You don't want that style to be, that, you know, that special beer to be neglected just because it's not, you know, specific to the generic category of, of style. So, I, hey, I'm all for, you know, kind of subcategorizing them and giving those special beers their own little uh, niche to uh, to strive and and be uh you know be awarded so i'm okay with that all right well uh the, we're using in this style guideline that we're going to talk about here on our brew bus segment we're going to use the 2015 uh bjcp category and this is a uh this category is is six uh it, does the category numbers uh is it just a way of of identifying easily you know what what these styles are because this is category six and it's an amber multi European lager that's what uh, the category falls into. Um, I mean, I, I'm a yeah. It's just a way to uh, have some shorthand for uh, you know delineating between the different uh, styles and um, usually each category the the sub category sub styles of that will feed up into like a medal for the overall category six. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't have, you know, three uh, beers metal in, in Martin and in 6A and then three beers metal in 6B, uh, you know, the best of the entire oh. category will kind of feed up into three metals. Okay, you know? okay. So that's gotcha. how, it, how it works. All right. Well, this category, Category 6, the Amber Multi-European Lager, it, it says it groups the amber-colored German-origin bottom-fermented lager beers that have a multi balance, and here they use some some German terms that I wasn't familiar with, but I think I understand. Uh, uh, they're using Volbier and uh, Stark beer, which is, if I understand correctly, just uh, reference some German taxing uh, regulations as far as the amount of alcohol within these beers. So the Volbier is between three and five point three percent alcohol. And Stark beer is five to ten percent in strength. Is that about right, John? Or does it even matter? Uh, that I'm not actually sure about. At okay. All. okay. So that's new information for me. Yeah, so. I thought it was interesting. Um, so I just want to throw that in there because uh, those are two terms that I personally, as a beer uh, craft beer enthusiast, I've never even heard of before until just now. So I just wanted to pass that little nugget of knowledge on to our listeners that they, you guys can learn along with me. Well, the style is, I'm assuming style is, is 6A, and it's the Martzen style, which is also, uh, you know, kind of the same beer style as the Oktoberfest that normally fall in. And the, typically, the alcohol by volume is between 5.8 and 6.3%. Our international bittering units uh, fall between 18 and 24, so a really, really small amount of bittering. Uh, in in the flavor and the commercial example they want to provide so that if you want to go out and and get a beer that tastes uh at, you know as the example of this style it's the Polliner Oktoberfest and that is going to be the beer that we will be drinking next episode for our listener participation tasting notes segment so um it's available right now uh, i recommend going and grabbing some uh as soon as you hear this because it may not be available in two weeks from now, so I don't want you guys to miss out because uh, a lot of times that stuff goes pretty quick uh, if you do have it. But you'll have to look into one of your specialty bottle shops 
most likely to get it. Sometimes you'll get it into grocery stores if they're if they got a good distributor. They'll sometimes bring those in uh, for the season, but um, most of the time you get to find it at a, at a bottle shop. All yeah, right. and if you want to go all in, the last time I was at Costco, they had uh, cases of it. So, oh, really? Um, you could check there too. Yeah. All right, Costco, buy it in bulk. That's right. All right, John, you want to go? So the way that the style guidelines are broken down is they give you. Uh, some different uh, descriptions. So you have an overall impression, then they talk about the aroma, then the appearance, the flavor, and the mouthfeel. Pretty much similar to what John and I do when we do our tasting. So John, what is the overall impression of a Marston-style beer? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, just one quick note. I'm going to back up a second. Okay. So those five uh, categories you broke said, you know, overall impression, aroma, appearance, flavor, mm-hmm. and mouthfeel. Um, that's actually as, uh, judges, when we're judging these competitions, those are the five, um, aspects that we're, uh, judging on. So each one of those has a certain number of points assigned to it. Okay. And then, uh, we'll, you know, put in our perceptions for each of those and then, uh, score it relative to how those perceptions align with these style guidelines. Okay. So, um, so just a little background since we're kind of, uh, introducing this uh, format to folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the overall impression is described as an elegant, malty German amber lager with a clean, rich, toasty, and bready malt flavor, restrained, restrained bitterness, and a dry finish that encourages another drink. <laughs> the overall malt impression is soft, elegant, and complex with a rich aftertaste that is never cloying or heavy. Mm. Um, and that's one of the reasons I love a good Marts and Oktoberfest mm-hmm. beer because uh, it gives you that, you know, big, bready malt character, um, but it doesn't, you know, linger in a, in a mm-hmm. really unpleasant way. So you, you just want to keep drinking it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, I, and what's amazing is that when I read this overall impression, it kind of brought to light, you know, exactly what I feel when I drink a Martzen, right? It, I mean... It does a really good job of kind of giving you an overall impression of the beer, what you can expect from drinking this beer. And, uh, and I, I like that. I like just having that. If I do anything when I'm experience, want to experiment with different styles, just hitting that one, that general overall impression is enough to at least give you an idea of what to expect. And then, you know, if you really want to dive in deeper, you can go into the judging, you know, categories that, that, uh, that, that we'll mention here. Uh, in just a minute, but yeah, um, I, I like that. So if you you can go and check out the the style guidelines and just get an, an idea of what a beer's like. So if you don't know what a uh, um, I, uh, what a Rosh beer is, you can go and look that up and get an, an you know a general impression of what that is. Uh, you know, so that that's what's kind of cool. All right, so. Like John and I, we're going to start, well, I guess we, uh, John and I always start with appearance, but uh, here they start with aroma. I don't know if it's because it's, uh, if, is, that, is that the way you normally would do it at a judging competition to start with the aroma, or would you start with the appearance, or does it matter how, how what no, you, you do? You always, yeah, you always start with aroma, okay. um, because there can be a lot of things that are kind of fleeting, um, you know, right when it hits the glass that are going to be there and, and you want to capture that. Okay. Um, so you usually start with the aroma, uh, get your notes down and then kind of 
look at appearance and come back to aroma and then uh, go on to flavor and come back to aroma because it, it changes, know, it develops the yeah. forms and stuff. Okay. Going on. All right. Well, hey, that's good. That's good. So do you think we should change our format to bring the uh, aroma before the appearance then? Or are we okay with the way we do it since we're not professionals? Oh, uh, I always smell it first anyway. <laughs> just, it's habit. So, okay. That's no the problem. way I'm doing it. I'm just relaying what I'm experiencing in a different in a, order. But, okay. No problem. No yeah. problem. So talking about the aroma, they say it's a moderate intensity aroma of German malt, which is typically rich bready and somewhat toasty and it will have light bread crust notes also and uh, there's a couple there's a bunch of uh, different uh, things that i think that i'm guessing john when you're going through your aroma uh, evaluation you're kind of marking these things off as as you experience them or don't experience them and that's how you determine your your points you're going to give for that uh, portion but they say it should be a clean lager fermentation character uh, it should have no hop aroma there should be caramel, dry biscuity, or roasted malt aromas are, oh, wow, caramel, dry biscuity, or roasted malt aromas inappropriate. What does that mean when they say that? It, it, there's some of those, there, I mean. It means it shouldn't be there. They shouldn't be there at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like that, that caramel is not going to give you that, you know, bready kind of character. It's going to make it sweet. Sweet, You don't want okay. it sweet. Okay. Um, because that's that's going to you know, discourage that, uh, that other drink. It's going to start pushing it towards a sweet, potentially cloying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes Um, sense. That makes sense. All right. And you know, you also noticed that you shouldn't be smelling much alcohol, right? It shouldn't be boozy smelling. It should be very light alcohol might be detected, but should never be sharp. That makes sense, right? This is not a, uh, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be really a boozy beer. Uh, clean, elegant malt richness should be the primary aroma. So, uh, you know, it kind of gives you uh, the guidelines of what you should be experiencing in the aroma of, of that. Yeah, and I, uh, just, you know, the uh, that overall kind of picture that, you know, first before you kind of start breaking it down uh, is, is kind of where, where you begin when you're judging. And then these extra notes are kind of where you start to to nitpick and um, when you really dig into it, especially uh, something that that's flirting with a being an exemplary example, mm-hmm. um, you really dive into it. Uh, lesser things, the the flaws tend to stand out, and um, it you don't tend to get a, as deep into it, um, mm-hmm. partly because it's unnecessary. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. Uh, the appearance is amber orange to deep reddish copper color. Should not be golden. Should have a bright clarity with persistent off-white foam stand. So uh, okay, that's a nice appearance. I I agree with that. I I, uh, I it's interesting. It says should not be gold, so it definitely needs to be on the amber to to coppery coloring, which I appreciate. I like the the more um, you know coppery uh, f- coloring in in my Marsons too. If they're too if they're too light, then it, it's something you know. It's, it's like a light lager. I don't want a, a light lager, but uh, that just seems. Pretty yeah, and good. if you remember from our uh, malt discussion, uh, Munich malt is what drives drives a lot of this. Um, if you if you just have them side by side, you won't really be able to tell from the naked eye uh, that it's much different from a pale malt. Um, but it's actually kilned uh, 
five to ten times darker. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it, on the love bond scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it translates to this uh, a lot of that orangish copper color. Okay. So excellent, excellent. So John, how about the flavor? What what are you going to uh, experience flavor wise in this beer? So initial malt flavor uh, often suggests sweetness, but yeah, the finish is moderately dried to dry, um, and distinctive and malt uh, and complex maltiness uh, often includes a, a bready, toasty aspect. And you know that that malt that's where that sweetness um, or perception of sweetness would come from. Um, but you don't want the the sugars actually mm-hmm. there. You want it to be dried out. Uh, hop bitterness is moderate. Uh, hop flavors low to none. Uh, you know, German hops, a complex, uh, like floral, uh, herbal, spicy, um, earthy even. <laughs> um, and, uh, really the hops are there just to, to balance out the, the malt and, uh, just take the edge off that sweetness so that it, you don't perceive it that way. Um, aftertaste is, uh, malty, the same elegant, rich malt flavors lingering, um, Again, the, the caramel biscuit roasted uh, are also inappropriate in mm-hmm. flavor, just same as the, as the aroma. Okay, and uh, the clean lager lager profile. So, okay. yeah, and then you know, kind of falling right into the into the mouthfeel. Uh, you know, medium body, uh, smooth, creamy texture, um, which can kind of come across a bit more full. Um, but yeah, medium carbonation, fully attenuated. And the attenuation is how much the the yeast uh, consumes the sugar, mm-hmm. um, so h- how much sweetness is left. So fully attenuated, you want no sweet or cloying um, aspect coming through. And maybe slightly warming, but the strength should be relatively hidden. Uh, that, again, back to the alcohol comment. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, though, I, I would not never expect to, to get any kind of alcohol in, the yeah. in this beer. Yeah. In this style, um, I was kind of surprised that I, it was listed um, listed there. But all right, so based on what we just talked about, John, I'm putting you on the spot. The Oktoberfest you're you're drinking right now on the show, the one from Sierra Nevada, based on on these characteristics, does it follow the Martin style uh, fairly well, or does it deviate from it? And you don't have to be specific; just uh, you know, you can just give your opinion uh yeah just off the cuff i would say it 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 follows pretty well i think it's a pretty decent example um without having broken it down Mm -hmm. just sitting here enjoying it and the fact (laughs) that it's almost gone already yeah (laughs) yeah they i just keep drinking it because it's nice (laughs) yeah they they go down very very smoothly especially this is one of those beers that's great to be with a group of people talking, having fun, laughing, and in drinking. The problem is, is that you'll end up having more ordered for you than you really expected because it literally goes down really fast. We were drinking big giant, uh, I don't know, 25 ounce glasses of it when we were out. And I'm telling you what, those, those things did not last long and everyone at the table was drinking them and we were just, uh, you know, having a good time chatting and just getting more loud because more alcohol was going, you know, in our bellies. So, uh, yeah, I agree. It's a good, I think it, it follows it pretty, pretty well myself, just based on what I remember from, from drinking it. 
All right. Any other comments, John, about this style that we want our listeners to know or anything about the beer judging uh, certification program uh, guidelines or any anything before we move on to our, our news articles? No, I think we've wrapped it up, but uh, maybe maybe in the future we'll talk more about judging because um, I think it's a good way for folks to kind of hone their skills. Yeah. Um, even just drinking and understanding your beer. So maybe we'll dive a little deeper in the future on that. Of course. I'd love to because I, I have never been to a beer judging uh, event. I, I'm assuming that it's not – is it a pub – it's not a public event that people come and watch you judge, is it, or or is it? No, it's not. Okay. It's like it's like they get you guys all back in the in the back room and then they they blindfold you and they 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 slap a beer in front of you and you have to uh you know figure out all the flavors and then rate it. Kind of hard to look at appearance. <laughs> yeah, <it's> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can you can taste the appearance. Okay. It's... <laughs> yeah. It's pretty obvious. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Well, I think that uh, is a pretty good snapshot of the beer style guidelines for the Martin style, also known as Oktoberfest. And I hope that you guys were able to uh, now further understand what you're drinking when you're going out to the pub and drinking those Oktoberfests right now, because now is the season. Go get them, enjoy them while you can, because they won't be there for long. All right. So as we mentioned earlier in the episode, there was some noteworthy news articles or items that came out for craft beer this week and probably the number one on my list and maybe john's list too uh, actually john brought to my attention the night that it occurred was the announcement that heineken international was going to purchase 50 percent of lagunitas brewing and uh this was a, a complete shock to me i so it's one the one news thing i never thought that i would ever hear so it was a little bit shocking, but um, let's we'll, we'll go ahead over the, the news uh, details, and then John and I will give our opinion on if it's good, bad, or indifferent, uh, as we have with every time we hear, we have some kind of a, a big beer buyout of, of our favorite craft breweries. So on September 8th, Lagunitas announced that they were entering into a joint venture with Heineken International, which is the world's third largest beer company. So again, this is big beer. Don't be mistaken. This is just as big as InBev and Mills Mills Coors and I can't even talk right now. Miller Coors and all that. So this is not like it was so rot with emotion. Yeah. This is not (laughs) like it's the Firestone Walker that was going with Duvall, which is a smaller uh, international uh, beer company. This is a big beer company. So we know that that's out in the open now that they have gone uh, to big beer. The specific financial details were not disclosed, but there were some sources that believe the deal could value Lagunitas at $1 billion. That's a lot of money, $1 billion uh, after this deal goes through. So Heineken International reports the deal is a 50-50 joint venture that will give the brewer a unique opportunity to expand within the craft beer market. So this is kind of like Heineken International's way of getting into the American craft beer market. Now, keep in mind that we're talking about Heineken International, not the Heineken USA. And I don't honestly know the difference between the two, except for, I'm guessing, Heineken USA 
is producing Heineken in the U.S. <laughs> I don't know. You know, maybe there's, you know, there's cider. Well, no, I think the international. No, no, that's Mir- Miller Coors has a cider. But I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what the difference between the two are, but this is the international version. You know the difference between the two, John? Uh, no, but I'm, you know, Heineken USA is still another subsidiary of, you know, Heineken of International. International. Okay. So. Okay. The CEO of Heineken International says, Hey, we recognize and we respect the tremendous success of Tony McGee, the, the owner of Lagunillas, and his team in building one of the great American craft beer brands. We look forward to that same team partnering with us to expand Lagunillas globally so it can reach parts that other craft beer brands have not. Uh, interesting. So, again, the, the, the whole goal of this 50-50% joint venture is to get a brand that both Heineken International appreciates and, of course, Americans appreciate, get that brand out to more people globally around the world. So, uh, you know, Lagunitas doesn't want to be the biggest uh, craft brewery in America anymore. They want to be, you know, they want to go global. Well, okay. I, I don't know. I don't know. If, I mean, we'll see how it works. I'm okay with it. I, I want everyone to enjoy their beer, but uh, yeah, we'll see. So Tony McGee, what he says, he describes the transaction as, quote, a crucial victory for American craft brewing, uh, which makes me laugh. Uh, what we have created in this relationship is a wide staircase to the sky for all of our people and for our brand, as well as the homegrown vibe of American craft brewing. So Tony says some uh, positive takeaways of this uh, joint venture is we met a company that saw and understood that we could only work together if we could continue as we are, steering our own ship here and abroad, being ourselves and exporting exactly that to communities all over the world, beginning with Mexico. <laughs> Which, uh, again, I just, uh, yeah, I guess that is international. Mexico is, uh, you know, outside the U.S., but... Man, couldn't they export to Mexico without uh, joining Heineken? I, I don't know what the, the deal is there, but okay. Hey, he's forward-thinking about getting his beer into Mexico. Um, it says, going forward, Lagunillas said it will continue to operate independently in the U.S., maintaining the integrity of its brews and culture. That This is not the end of anything at all at Lagunillas, except maybe it's the end of the beginning, meaning that we are now standing at a threshold of a historic opportunity to export the excitement and vibe of American-born craft brewing and meet beer lovers all over the planet Earth, our true homeland. So that is uh, what's going on. Lagunitas has decided that they would uh, sell 50% of the company, Tony McGee did, uh, there's going to be, uh, the, the deal is going to have three board, um, board members, uh, from each company. And then Tony will be the CEO, uh, and, uh, whatever general manager or whatever the, the, the chairman of the board. Yeah. Chairman. Yeah. So, uh, what do you think of this news, John? Uh, um, and let me just say this. Tony McGee was one of the vocal craft brewers who spoke out against the Elysian, against Ten Barrel, against all these craft beer companies that sold sold out to big beer and made it sound like, 
it's it's you know hey you guys have, have you guys are have have lost your morals and you don't you're not you know for the craft beer and blah 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 and this was only a few months ago and now he's drank the Kool-Aid and he saw the benefits that he was you know that these other companies might be getting and now he decided that you know what maybe I was wrong and I want to go ahead and uh, sell 50% of my company to Big Beer so that we can uh, distribute to Mexico. So, John, what do you? What's your take on this? Um, so, I just want to point out that I, I think when we first started uh, talking about these uh, sales, I think starting with Ten Barrel and then when Elysian sold and the full sale news, and I, I think I made a joke that. Uh, you needed to watch out because every brewery that you loved was being targeted. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, here we go. With um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, those uh, Boise breweries need to start uh, being careful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Somebody, somebody's going after Danny right now. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I've seen a lot of the, the hypocrite talk, um, you know, like you mentioned that mm-hmm. they, he had uh, kind of attacked, the folks at Ten Barrel and Elysian and such, um, and I think uh, you know th- those were complete sales. Uh, it it kind of depends on what this joint venture thing means, um, but I think Heineken might have a the controlling stake now, even though they only bought fifty percent, um, because I, I'm pretty sure Tony already sold off part of the company. Um, years back mm-hmm. uh to, to raise some capital. Um so I, I I don't think he uh could you know if if he gave up fifty percent he he would then have less than that as well. Mm-hmm. Um but uh you know I think part of uh part of the big beer argument is um I don't think craft brewing looked at imports the same way as they did the big American breweries. And, you know, Heineken would fall into that import category. So I, I wonder if, if in his mind it's it's not the same kind of sin, you know, uh, of selling out um, to, to or selling to this mm-hmm. company. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't know that they were put in the same enemy category as, you know, Budweiser, which obviously is now a foreign-owned yeah. uh, product as well mm-hmm. um but the the stigma is still there of you know the years decades and decades of um you know american dominance um but uh you know i i think you know i feel like a broken record because this, this is happening more and more and um i think this is kind of the new normal now mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I think lagunitas was what the fifth largest american craft brewery at this point yeah yeah um so, uh, which they're now going to be taken off that list. Yeah. Um, because, uh, Heineken has more than a 20% ownership stake. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, you know, I, as long as the beer is, is there and the same quality, not going to affect me in any way, um, for my, my beer buying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I've said that a lot <laughs> over the last six months. Um, and I feel, feel like I'm going to keep saying it, um, as everybody else, uh, gets out their, their pitchforks and torches to try to, try to run folks out of town. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and it's, it's weird that that's the, um, controversial opinion 
<laughs> is uh, I, I like the beer and I'm going to drink it. But uh, that's that's where I stand. Um, but yeah, I, I know this one hit, hit you uh, a little harder than than it did me. Um, so yeah, you know, and I think you've given us uh, a glimpse into into your thoughts as you were getting through the the uh, <laughs> the highlights. But uh, please enlighten us. Uh, wh- where do you stand with this? Uh, okay, I, you know what, John, you and I are so much alike in so many ways, except for the way we rate beers, which is okay. We can be different in that way. I don't mind. But I I'm I'm I've gone to the same boat. As you, as far as if I like the beer and they still make good beer, I'm still going to drink the beer. I'm not, I haven't gone away from Tim Barrel. I still visit Tim Barrel once or twice a month here in Boise. I'm not going to, as long as they keep producing the beer they do, I'm going to keep drinking. Elysian is still one of my favorite breweries. And just because they also are an InBev product now, until they start making bad beer, I'm going to still drink their beer. And the same thing goes with Lagunitas. The problem that, uh, that kind of hurt me a little, and it it was just it was it was the whole hypocritical portion of it, you know. I I read tweets from Tony McGee when he was on some kind of drunken, stoned out uh, tirade where he was just chastising these breweries and how he would never do it and blah blah, you know, all this stuff. And then to see him in a few months later go and even though he didn't sell his whole company, it doesn't matter. He sold fifty percent of his company. To a big beer company. It's the principles that he was standing by that he kind of decided he was going to flush them away. Now, does he have good reasons for it? Of course he does. What is he looking at? He's looking at supporting the ever and growing amount of employees that he has under his umbrella of Lagunitas. He has two breweries now and he's getting ready to open, you know, he's working on opening a third brewery in the States. That means there's a lot of people that work under Lagunita's name. And the more money they have, the more backing they have, they're going to be able to provide those employees with better benefits uh, and and give them a better um, lifestyle that he couldn't do if he didn't have that kind of, you know, influx of, influx of money. So I'm okay with it. The same, it's the same thing that Timbrell did, the same thing that Legion does, the same thing that all these small breweries that are that are selling some part of their company, they want to be able to provide for their employees. You know, I mentioned Edge Brewing, how the head brewmaster had a boil over, burned the whole right side of her body, was in the burn unit at in Salt Lake City, and what? How is she paying for? It? Luckily, her husband has a good job and good insurance, but the brewery has no insurance. They have no insurance for their employees. So when this happens, she's on her own. She's got workman's comp and whatever her spouse can provide. And that's how most of these craft breweries are operating. And uh, you know what? I don't blame Tony for wanting to provide some of these benefits to his employees. Now, as far as getting his beer out to the world, um, that's great too. I can applaud that. But um, I don't think... You need to sell 50% of your company to do that. Stone didn't do it, and they're going, you know, they're out in Berlin. They're opening a, they have a brewery open in Berlin. Uh, they could have easily, if they wanted to distribute their beer into Mexico, I think they could have found a distributor to get their beer down there without selling half of his company. So I think that is kind of a, a lame excuse for, for, you know, for him. Um, but yeah, um, I was just disappointed. 
in Tony as a, you know, as a human in general for, for all the negative stuff he said. And then he just backtracked on it and, and did it himself. That, that just kind of makes me kind of, uh, a little frustrated with him as, as a person. That, but hell, I'll still drink Lagunitas and I'll still go visit the brewery when I go to California because I love their beer. Um, so that's my take on it. Anything I say, uh, make you laugh or you have any comments to say <laughs> to counter my comments? <laughs> uh, I don't really have any, any follow up. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I can understand that aspect of, you know, Tony specifically yeah. uh, having a, the issue there. Um, but, uh, yeah, whatever. It, business is business. And, you know, I, for some of this stuff's happened, you know, fairly recently that's been commented on. So likely these talks were already underway. Um, so I, I think there's definitely some kind of separation in his own mind of, of, uh, what it means. Um, yeah. You know, and, and maybe the whole joint venture thing is really what it's going to be, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not, you know, it remains to be seen. Um, but that, you know, that at least on the face of it, that it does appear that this is set up differently than, you know, the Elysian and, and 10 barrel, uh, purchases were, mm-hmm. which were just outright purchases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll stay tuned for Tap the Craft because we will be giving you updates as things develop. So keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, let's get off of the, the big news of Lagunitas with their 50% uh, joint venture. And let's go into another brewery, a brewery out of California that I am not familiar with. Uh, but they just sold their company to uh, Miller Coors. So Miller Coors acquires majority interest. In St. Archer Brewing Company. I guess they're out of uh, the San Diego area. Have you, are you familiar with St. Archer, John? I, I know of them. Uh, I've never had their beer, though. Okay. So, but okay. I, I'm aware of them. I've heard some interviews with them in the past. Okay. Well, you know what? I have a little information about the brewery that we'll talk about here at, at the end of the story. But let's just go over the story real quick. So another California-based craft brewer has sold... Tenth and Blake, the craft beer and import division of Miller Coors, announced that it would acquire a majority interest in San Diego's St. Archer Brewing Brewing Company. The transaction is expected to close in October 2015. And again, financial terms were not disclosed, although Wall Street did some uh, some math and they figured that it's going to be about a $35 million deal. And they're basing that off of the production of the uh, their current production is 35,000 barrels, and they're th- saying that each barrel is uh, worth, uh, you know, about $1,000 worth of investment. So they're saying 35. Yeah, and I've been, I've been hearing that same uh, relationship thrown out over the last few months, mm-hmm. um, just based on the, the recent sales. It seems to be uh, that's kind of the, the starting point um, for, for where a lot of these talks end up. So. Okay. Okay, so this is interesting. So St. Archer, they launched in 2013. This this brewery is only a couple years or less than two years old, uh, and they've already uh, gained up to 35,000 uh, barrels and have sold to to Miller Coors, which is interesting. Um, 
So yeah, it says they uh, they launched in 2013 and have grown rapidly in its short few years in business. It expects to sell 35,000 barrels of beer in 2015. It says in a press statement, Miller Coors said St. Archer's management team will continue to lead day-to-day operations. The business will reportedly be run as a separate unit of Tenth and Blake. This acquisition marks the first craft-focused deal that Tenth and Blake has made since they purchased Crispin. In 2012. So we mentioned in the cider talk we had a couple episodes ago that we, that John, both you and I, John, we were surprised to find out that Crispin Cider was owned by Miller Coors and that was the, uh, they were purchased by this Tenth and Blake. So it's, it's interesting. Here's something else that's interesting that kind of, uh, you know, I don't know. It was, I guess it kind of made a little bit of headway when it first happened, but, uh, not a big, uh, a, a big deal. Uh, but it also owns 25% of Georgia's Terrapin Beer Company, uh, which is interesting. You know, Terrapin is is not a craft beer uh, brewery because Miller Coors, Tenth and Blake, owns 25% of them. So, yeah, that's one that I wasn't aware of, um, which I, I learned through all this news that was coming out around this. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that one surprised me as well. Yeah. So here's here's a little inf- background about the St. Archer Brewing. Again, I had heard St. Archer's in in brief mentions of other podcasts, but I I've never had any of their beer. I don't go to San Diego, so I think that's pretty much in the area you're going to get uh majority of their beers is in their their local area. And maybe they do distribute some stuff that's uh you know moves out further, but I haven't seen it. So I had to figure out what exactly this company is all about, this brewery. So who is St. Archer Brewing? Well, it was co-founded founded by an action sports filmmaker. Okay, that doesn't, I mean, you would think it'd be, I mean, I'm assuming the other co-founder was actually a brewer, I would hope. Uh, I don't know, you know, so maybe he was the silent partner that funded all the money. But he, he um, is backed by investors in that same industry, which are mainly skateboarders and surfers. Who provided, uh, some financial foothold into, into the, into their brewery. So a lot of people, um, were thinking that this was more of a marketing, uh, ploy, you know, that, that, hey, this brewery is starting up. They're going to have, uh, it's, it's, it's co-founded by this movie filmmaker guy and it's being backed by all these, uh, you know, I'm guessing like X game type, uh, sports figures. So it was kind of like a, maybe a marketing thing to get their brand known in those areas of extreme sports. Maybe. That's what they were guessing. And I don't know. It might be true because within two years of them selling for a pretty big profit, it seems like maybe it was kind of a, a gimmicky thing. Or maybe this was the plan all along they were planning on. Maybe maybe Miller Coors, a little bit of a conspiracy here. Maybe Miller Coors, they actually, you know, had, you know, was, was, in the the works of uh of providing this whole St. Archer Brewing and it was always one of their companies of you know who knows it's kind of a I don't know kind of weird but here's the funny thing not not funny interesting thing they attracted top level brewing and sales talents from a number of local breweries in that area Coronado Brewing Maui Brewing which is not local it's actually in Hawaii but still Maui Brewing Port and Lost Abbey Brewing and the Pizza Port Brewing uh, interesting that they, that, that these brewers and sales team guys left these other breweries to come into this, this brewery. I, I thought that was interesting. 
Uh, and also, within the first six months that they were, were uh, producing beer, they secured over 700 tap handles and 1,800 retail placements with their initial offerings of a blonde ale, a pale ale, a white ale, and an IPA. And just to let you know that their beer does have some, uh, you know, some, some goodness to it, in 2014, their white ale won a gold medal at the Great American Beer Festival. So, hey, they actually can produce good beer, so it's not just all marketing. But uh, what do you think about that, John? Do you think, I mean, is it realistic that a newly opened brewery six months after opening would be able to have that kind of retail placement in that short of time without some kind of, uh, you know, other things going on in the background? Uh, I don't think I'm going to jump on board with the uh, conspiracy theory of Miller <laughs> being involved the entire time um, because they wouldn't go through, they, they wouldn't announce it this way. If that was the case, they would just continue to operate in the background and, okay. you know, deceive or a lot of people would view it that way. But, um, you know, if, if you're pulling in, if, if when you're starting, you're pulling in folks that from very, very successful breweries mm-hmm. in that area that mm-hmm. are going to have contacts in that area, um, you know, it's, it's not shocking that you would be able to, uh, you know, get that kind of push, um, especially in, in your local area. And, you know, there are a lot of tap panels and retail spots available in, in the San Diego area. So, um, yeah, that is not surprising to me, but, uh, to me that this deal, uh, kind of could be viewed as a, as a reaction to, um, the 10 barrel sale, um, you know, and, and Miller kind of getting in the game. Um, cause I don't think St. Archer, uh, in, in where they are now, you know, uh, Ten Barrel has a, a bit of a longer history, mm-hmm. obviously, but uh, in, in terms of what they're doing now and you know winning awards and, the, and that kind of thing, it, they're they're not that far apart in terms of what they provide um, to to a company that's looking to acquire. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I'm not going to say that this is you know they they saw the news of the Ten Barrel acquisition, they picked up the phone, were like, we need to find somebody to, <laughs> to pick up, but uh, you know, I think these two breweries are very, very similar um, in terms of, um, you know, barrelage and, uh, you know, kind of um, kind of the prestige factor mm-hmm. of, um, you know, winning and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, just pretty interesting. And I think this one a lot of people missed because of the Lagunitas news. Yeah. Um, that kind of dominated the news cycle, but uh, uh, yeah, kind of, kind of curious. Yeah, so. yeah, we'll see how it pans out. Hey, you know what though? Again, if the distri- distribution allows this beer to come to my area and I get to experience it and I enjoy it, more power to them. You know, I, I, I was just, I don't mind this acquisition. I don't, I don't even, I have no, I, I doesn't, doesn't bother me at all because I don't even know the brewery so it's not it doesn't it doesn't affect me personally um there's some benefit though finally right? yeah finally <laughs> one that doesn't affect me but uh but hey there's a there's a pro side the pro side is i might get another beer that in my area from the san diego area that i enjoy as much as i enjoy stone 
uh, I'm okay with that. And, and as much as I enjoy Sculpin and or uh, Bow's Point and all you know all those Green Flash, all those Southern California beers, if more of that stuff comes up here, I'm happy. And if it uh, and if these guys were able to make a quick investment and make a uh, a bunch of money off of it, hey, I'm okay with that too because that's the name of the game is is to be successful if you can. I just I just did I found it. I just thought that the you know less than two years and it, you know basically in the in the brewing business and they're selling their company for thirty five million. It just seemed very strange to me that that happened that fast. They didn't have any history. And that, that's what kind of confused me. Well, I, I have seen, seen people comment that this brewery appeared to be built for sale. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and you know, there so that is some people's plans when they start these businesses. It's not necessarily that they want to to be in the beer business. They see it as an opportunity if they can put something together and then get a payday for it. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's, that's true. Prerogative. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be curious to see if the co-founder that the filmmaker guy, right? If him and his investors, they get their payout and now it leaves it to the, the original co-owner that was the brewer, I'm assuming for him to, you know, to, to now have a brewery that's, that's being funded by a big beer company and he can just have, you know, do his thing and have his company run. Maybe. That'll happen. I don't know. I'm I'm just curious to see what the the news uh, comes about in the next year and and see how they grow and stuff. So. All right, John. We have one last little uh, news article. It's kind of just an informational thing that I think that that you again you sent this article. Uh, you sent it from Fortune magazine. I got it off of the Brewhound, no Brewbound uh, site that you uh, sent the original one, which I didn't. Hadn't been visiting that site, and I think they have some pretty good articles there. I enjoyed reading through that that uh, that site, and we'll have these links in our show notes. So if you want to find them yourself, just uh, go and look on the on the uh, MP3 file, and there'll be a link right there. Hopefully that you can follow. Maybe not. Oh, you know what? You can follow it from openformradio.com. Our post on there, you'll have a link to all these articles. I think the links don't come through on the iTunes thing, but. No problem. But hey, this last article is about a brewery I just mentioned, Stone Brewing, and their co-founder and CEO Greg Cook is uh, is going to step down from CEO position. Uh, it, Stone Brewing announced that co-founder Greg Cook is stepping down as CEO of the company and transitioning into a new role as an executive chairman, a position that will remove him from day-to-day operations. And it's quoted. This is a natural progression. Once companies reach our size and complexity, said Cook in a statement, I see this as an opportunity to focus on the future direction and projects for Stone Brewing. Most importantly, we are looking for someone who can contribute to our executive team and understands our vision for craft beer. So uh, this, this doesn't really surprise me. I think that as Stone is now a global company, you know, they have their brewery that's opening up in Berlin. They have the brewery that's in San Diego and Orange County. They have the brewery that's uh, building in Richmond. Uh, they're spread out. And not only in the States now, but they're spread out in another country. And uh, managing that type of business is not something that doesn't have this, that, that for someone that doesn't have uh, experience and skill in that. I know he has experience from 
running Stone as a, a single entity in San Diego, but now you've just increased it with logistics and all the foreign policies and all this stuff. Uh, it's time to move someone in that understands that and who can run it uh, more f- efficiently and effectively and build their brand uh, the way that they want. So I'm okay with Greg uh, stepping down and taking a, a backseat role and just enjoying the PR life that he enjoys uh, as as he does. Uh, what is your take on this, John? Are you surprised, or is this a uh, natural progression? Uh, I can see it as natural progression. I, I wasn't, you know, sitting around waiting for this kind of news. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it did kind of surprise me that it, it did happen. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I understand the move. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, coming on the heels of the Lagunitas thing, it, everyone immediately assumed that this was related to some <laughs> kind of sale that was about to be announced. Oh, yeah. I think uh, Greg Cook was very quick to say this has nothing to do with anything like that. It's just what needs to happen for the the good of the company. Um, but uh, yeah, the the conspiracy theorists uh, were were out in in full for that one. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, just hopefully they uh, they get the right person in there and and can continue to to grow. So yeah, yeah, I I think I think they'll find the right person if. If I mean, we'll know right away if they don't, because then things will start changing, and we'll hear grumblings going on, and then we'll probably see. You know, at one point, I would assume that then Greg Cook would be asked to step down, and if he leaves Stone altogether, then you know something bad happened. So hopefully that won't happen, because I think he has a lot of good insight, and and I always I really enjoy watching their YouTube videos. Uh, have you have you visited your YouTube page and watched the 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 stuff they put out on there? Just informational stuff and some funny stuff about you know different things, the different uh, knowledges and and rumors and uh, urban legends about Stone and stuff. They have you know a lot of good videos on there. Oh, I need to check that out. Yeah, yeah, I I enjoy it. And Greg Cook just seems like an approachable, nice, easygoing guy. He, you know he's. Uh, I mean, I've never met him. He's been here in Boise before. He actually served beer right at the, one of the bars downtown. And I never, I never, I was going to go down there and, and uh, have this. They were doing that. He was here when they were doing that vertical tasting of all those vertical epic beers. Uh, he had, uh, I think he had 2004 through uh, 2012 uh, all um, available in case. He had cases of them. And they were doing a vertical tasting at one of the bars, Bitter Creek Ale House here in, in Boise. And I wanted to get down there and do that vertical tasting, and I never made it. And he was there. I would have loved to have uh, have met him and chatted with him. But, yeah, one day I'll make it down to to Stone and uh, have a beer with him and, and chat with him, hopefully. Did you chat with him when you were there visiting? Uh, no. No, I did not see him. <laughs> I I mean I hear that he actually is behind the bar a lot of times. I don't know if that's still true. I know that someone else that went to visit uh was shocked that Greg Cook was behind the bar serving him beer and uh and he was a nice guy and he was very quiet. Uh you know, he wasn't a, a, he I would think he'd be more outgoing and more, you know, bullish. I guess he doesn't get that way until he starts drinking heavily. And once he starts drinking then he starts to get more uh, you know, entertaining. But he's a, I guess he's a quiet guy, and and the guy he was serving beer behind the bar. I thought that was pretty uh, interesting. So that is the end of our news articles. Uh, some very 
interesting news, and we just wanted to bring that to you and give you guys our impressions uh, of those articles. So hopefully you guys, uh, hey, write to us and let us know how you feel, either on Twitter or you can send an email to us. You can find us on Twitter at TapTheCraft, or you can write an email at TapTheCraft at gmail.com. Give us your feedback. We'll read it. We'll, we'll talk about it on the show because I'm curious what you guys' take on all three of these articles are. If it, especially all of our listeners that live down in that area of the LA and the San Diego area, you guys might have more insight than John and I because you're right there and you, you guys are hearing more scuttlebutt about all the happenings down there. So, hey, let us know and we'll uh, talk about it on the show some more. Okay, John, you know, um, I'm, my mouth is getting dry. I'm getting tongue-tied. I think it's time to bring this show to a close. But before we do that, I want to give you the opportunity to raise your glass to anyone you want to, to do a cheers to. You have, you have anyone you want to raise your glass to? So I'm going to raise my glass to a, a new listener uh, who happens to be my brother. Uh, my brother Dan uh, started listening, and he's actually starting to expand his beer world from uh, PBR, hmm. um, which is exciting. So, and from all reports, he's he's enjoying what he what he's getting into. So that's really cool, and I'm hopefully uh, be able to share some some craft beers with him in the future. It's been a while since I mentioned this, and uh, I think I'm about two months out now. Um, but I, I wanted to bring up Extra Life again. Um, which, uh, for those unfamiliar, uh, it's a, a fundraiser every year uh, for Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. Uh, it's a 24-hour gaming marathon. It can be video games, board games, card games, uh, you know, D&D, wh- whatever your pleasure is. Um, uh, you commit to playing for 24 hours and, and raise funds for uh, your local hospital or, or just, uh, I think you can you can do that. Uh, Miracle Network hospitals in general, and they'll um, get the money to you know who who needs it. Um, but uh, I'm participating again this year. Uh, it's my my fifth year, um, and uh, I've got an, an extra special reason um, this year. Uh, good good friends of ours uh, had to say goodbye to their their four month old uh, son. Uh, who had all kinds of, of complications uh, since birth. And um, the folks at Seattle Children's were just extraordinary for them and um, in the support uh, th- throughout their ordeal and afterward and helping them with the, the financials of everything. And uh, so I'm, I'm dedicating this year uh, in, in memory of Grayson, uh, their, their boy. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping to... Uh, you know, kind of make this a banner year for for my fundraising um, that's going to support uh, the Seattle Children's Hospital. Um, and uh, to to kind of help with that uh, this year, I've, I've joined the Good for Gaming team, uh, which uh, is full of uh, folks from a, a few other um, gaming uh, podcasts, uh, kind of in our greater community here. Uh, and and their listeners, um, I know the Fluxtapose folks are there. Everyday Gamers folks are there. A um, few others that are now escaping me on the spot, but uh, <laughs> lots lots of good folks over there. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just encourage uh, anybody who's interested in uh, contributing or participating uh, to check out Extra Life. It's extra life 
dot uh, org, and you can you can search for the Good for Gaming team. Um, if you're looking for my page, it's uh, extra dash life dot org slash participant slash ream r e a m. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd appreciate anybody that can uh, you know chip in, even not for me, just anybody who could be supporting your local. So it's a it's a good cause and something I I really believe in. So that's it for me. Yeah, no, that's great. I, uh, I've i been including a link to your Extra Life on every show since you announced it uh, several months ago. So all you got to do to find a link to John's Extra Life page is go to openforumradio.com to tap the craft at the bottom of our show post for, for all the shows for the last several episodes. You'll find a link that goes right to his page. So please go visit and donate anything you can. I really appreciate it. Um, all right. Well, you know what? I, um, I, of course, I want to thank Robert for supplying the, the question. I want to thank, uh, uh, again, uh, Jason Lacey from the Flexibles Podcast and David Yojimbo2000, our two prize winners. I have uh, heard, I've actually sent and Jason received his gift pack and really appreciates it. David um, behind on episodes, obviously, because he hasn't contacted us to let us know that, uh, that he's won and to, uh, give me his address. But as soon as he gives me his address, uh, I'll go ahead and send that out to him. So I just want to thank you guys for your reviews. And, um, also I want to, uh, you know, this last week, last Friday was, uh, the anniversary of 9-11. And I just want to, uh, just to raise my glass to all the, the service, uh, like the fire service and the, the police service and everyone who's has lost uh, their coworkers and their friends and their family members and everything in, in that horrible tragedy on, on 9-11. Just, uh, we never forget. Uh, I think everyone that uh, has experienced that will remember exactly the moment that they uh, saw the towers collapse and it'll always be in our, our memory. I know that I'll never forget that moment uh, of when my wife and I, sat there with our jaws, uh, you know, just gaping open because uh, we couldn't believe what we had just seen and all the tragedy and devastation that it caused. So I just want to raise my glass to, not to the devastation, but to just uh, not re- not forgetting and just holding up those people in our uh, hearts uh, forever. Uh, and that's it. That's all I have. I uh, But before I, I go, I want to make sure that we've already mentioned that we're hosted by openforumradio.com uh, on the Open Forum Radio Network. I just want to thank them for supporting the show and, and, and providing the hosting space. Go to openforumradio.com, check out all the great podcasts that we have on the network. And again, you can find our show posts there, so there's all kinds of good information in there, as well as links to the articles that will be uh, in this in this episode and to John's Extra Lives. And it also lists the beers that we discussed on the show. So it's a great reference for you guys to, to, to get more information. And again, uh, I've mentioned every episode that we've ever put out that, uh, being a former serviceman, I always need to raise my glass. Uh, I want to thank all the servicemen and women out there who are out there protecting our freedoms, protecting our freedoms that allow John and I to sit here every two weeks, uh, and talk about beer and provide you guys with, uh, with the information we do and allows us to drink beer. Uh, I, I just want to thank, thank them, all the servicemen and women. Please return home safely to, to your families. 
Also, um, I mentioned iTunes reviews. Hey, if you want to leave us a review, it just helps get the show recognized in the iTunes program and community and lets other people see uh, that, hey, this show is entertaining and educational and and gets our, our show out to more people. So if you want to leave a review, that's the way you can help us. We don't ask for money, just a, a, a nice rating and a little uh, words to help people find us would be great. Just a reminder, next episode will be our listener participation tasting oak segment, and we will be drinking the Polliner Oktoberfest. So go out and pick up a, at least one of them, if not a six-pack, while you can. And if you're really into it, go to Costco and buy a 24-pack, because John says they have 24-packs there if you're really into this beer. And, hey, it's a good beer. I think you'll enjoy it. Next episode, Polliner Oktoberfest. And if you would like to contact the show, you can reach us through email at tapthecraft at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at tapthecraft or leave comments on the show post on openforumradio.com or Google Plus. Just search for tapthecraft. And you can follow me personally on Twitter, Instagram, and untapped at loose screw and on Google Plus at Denny Loose. And John, how can listeners follow you? On Twitter at Prime Brewing, on tapped at PrimeWA. And I sporadically write about beer and homebrewing at homebrewengineer.com. <laughs> yes, you do. And uh, I'm all caught up on your blog. And uh, I, I have to admit, I don't understand the name of your IPA. Uh, all I can think of is Donnie and Marie, but I don't know if that has anything to do with anything. So, Or Donnie, no. or Donnie Darko or whatever. I don't know. They, I don't know any other Donnies, so I don't know what it, what it means. Uh, it's, it's from the, the Big Lebowski Um and that the the common phrase of Donnie, you're out of your element. So I, I was oh. out, out of my element. I lost oh. it. <laughs> oh, that's clever. That's I understand it now. Uh, okay, excellent. So go visit John's homebrewengineer.com and uh, check out all the great stuff he writes about. I I do enjoy visiting there, learning about homebrewing. All yeah, right, now well, the pressure's on since you're caught up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need some more content. Don't leave me hanging. <laughs> All right, it's last call. It's time to bring the show to a close. We want to thank you for downloading and listening to the show, and we hope you were able to find something useful, and we welcome you to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or even TuneIn Radio or whatever application you have that can download podcasts. And as a reminder, we release a new show every two weeks. And that's it for this episode, and we'll see you in two weeks. Cheers. Uh, what we're using for our for the guidelines are the beer judging certification <laughs> program Maybe program <laughs> program. Maybe I'll, I'll do that over again because I <laughs> I, just didn't, I just realized I was like I don't think I know what the whole thing stands for it because you tell me all the time yeah. but I'm not. Well, it's, it's too many letters. At least you just didn't get. <laughs> day and then just lose your focus yeah okay (laughs) and the uh, this was (laughs) i need some more beer i can't talk (laughs) Uh, he also says there's some positive takeaways he says hey we met a company that saw and understood 
that we could only work together if we could continue as we are, steering our own ship here and abroad, being ourselves and exporting exactly what exactly to the <laughs> man I must be falling asleep as I'm talking this is uh this is very bad, okay, let me try this again. <laughs> says we met and saw a company <laughs> I, can't, I can't do this <laughs> okay i'll get it i'll get it no problem okay yeah i'm pausing for a second <laughs> okay i noticed <laughs> hey it's shaver from open forum radio here want to go ahead and take a second say thank you for checking out this episode of Tap the Craft, and I would like to encourage each of you to check out some of the other shows that we have here on the Open Forum Radio Podcast Network. Uh, we'll start it off with the original Open Forum Radio, The 40Cast, Prove Your Point, Geeks for the Win, I Recommend, My Peanut Gallery, The Married Gamers, Some Other Castle, Gamer Husbands Radio, The OMG Hour, Gamers Unscripted, Just Press Start, Platform Junkies, and Jobbers on the Mic. Hey, be cool. Give a great review to all the shows you like on iTunes, Podbay, Stitcher, everywhere you can give reviews. Review every show five times, and you are officially a good listener. Also, go ahead and visit openforumradio.com. Links to all the different shows. Uh, like the Open Forum Radio Facebook page. And uh, take a second, if you like playing games online and with people and are cool, to uh, go ahead and look at Zabari's Gamer Information Spreadsheet. Fully useful information that will do nothing but enhance your online gaming experience. All right, folks, take it easy. Have a good day.